Say in the name of Jesus. I have the spirit of wisdom. I have the spirit of understanding. I have the spirit of insight. God's word is clear to me. And I have direction. I have ability to obey. I have ability to conform to his will. His will is being worked in my life. Alright, so let's declare the word of God. One, two, go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Understanding is your portion today in Jesus' name. Insight is your portion today in the name of Jesus. Purpose is clear to you today in the name of Jesus Christ. All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats and quickly get into the teaching we have for today. Now, please open your Bibles again to the book of um, the second epistle of uh, Peter. That's the one that has been, uh, that's one we read last time. We have been talking about the work of God, how to serve God effectively, the true service of God. Again, if you've not read the book, when you find a copy, please read it. A book I wrote a number of years ago titled How to Work for God. The second edition is um, coming out shortly. So if you read that book, what I'm teaching now, they are found inside there. And we're just trying to explain the word of God clearly, all right, to the people of God in a, all right, again, we can't say these things enough. So we've been looking at it. Last time we explained that the most important thing, the primary work of God for the life of the Christian is to be conformed to the image of Christ in his life. We have been establishing the fact that, first of all, all right, the work is inside, it's not outside. Last time we read um, the story of um, uh, Mary and Martha. When Jesus went to their house in the book of Luke chapter 10, when Jesus went to their house, we saw what happened there. Mary, the Bible says, was seated at the feet of Jesus, learning his word. But Martha was busy. The Bible says she was distracted. Let me emphasize that again. She was distracted. The issue is distraction. What we are doing is to compare distraction with attention. That is, in the life of Martha, the good things she was doing, they were distracting her. That's the problem with that particular situation. It was not as if those things were bad in themselves, but they constituted a distraction for the life of that, um, let me just say expression, that child of God, all right? But Mary, she was sitting down. Again, remember, her own sitting down was not out of idleness. Let's get that clear. It is not as if she was sitting down at home while everybody was in church. It's not as if she was sitting down, all right, watching TV, because there are Christians who sit down and watch TV, and they will not say that, ah, <laughs> look, that thing you are doing is not the work of God. The Bible says, you know, the Pastor Banky preached that we can sit down and be doing God's word, God's work. You know, one of my, one of my, it was not my classmate, but we were school about the same time, all right, the same level. Those when they was in school, they were talking about the word of faith. His classmates would go in the morning to go and read their books, to go and attend lectures, and they would sit in the hostel and be laughing at them. He said, you people are depending on the arm of flesh, all right, by going to attend lectures. Of course, at the end of the day, the arm of whatever he was depending on <laughs> failed him. <laughs> just by the way, just so you understand. You know, let's, sometimes we don't balance things well. 
the fact is that that was the duty of, Christ, of students to go for lectures and learn. It's not as if they're depending on the arm of flesh. A student is supposed to go to class and read his book before he starts praying that God help me. Some people say that I didn't even, I didn't know anything and I passed. If God does that for you, don't brag on it. Those are things that he does and he says, see that you tell no man. Anytime he does it, say, please don't tell anybody. It's an embarrassment. Don't let my children get the impression that the way I do things is that they will not learn anything, yet they will pass. He can do that. He can do it. But if you do it, the say, I didn't even come for the exam and I had the results. You go and tell the lecturer. Don't testify about it. Go and tell the lecturer. Excuse me, sir. You posted that I had an A. I was not around. Let him produce the script that the angel wrote on your behalf before you settle down. Because the day they will publish your results in final year, now extra year you define with that. That your testimony in second year, you realize that it never happened. It's true. <laughs> yeah, you know, because uh, it was a mistake. They used to put A for you. You didn't come to school that day. It's in final year when they are compiling your results for NYC. That is when you will realize that that miracle never happened. Go and meet the man and say, excuse me, sir. I wasn't around. You published that I had an A. And, it, and he said, ah, is that not your handwriting? Is that your number? Okay, an angel did the work. So thank you, sir. I thought maybe I forgot I came. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the Lord is good. Now back to what I was saying. So it is not as if Martha Mary was sitting down doing nothing. No, no, no. What Mary was doing was that she sat down, all right? The Bible says she was listening to his word. If you remember that we read it last time from that look, uh, book of Luke chapter 10. That's in the verse, um, let me just read the verse out to us, verse 39. So the Bible says that Mary sat at his feet listening to his teaching, listening to his word, listening as he was teaching, all right? And that was what made the sitting down important. The work of Martha was not bad in itself until it constituted a distraction to attending to God's word. Last time, the example I gave is that in many churches, people occupy themselves with things that, are, that distract them from God's word. You have a guest minister coming to town. They put in the cooking committee while the man is preaching. They tell you that go and get his food ready. Tell them, I am not doing. Resign from committee that day. How can you invite a man? From a man that you know is going to bless you, they now put in the committee in the protocol department. You are, you are in his hotel room getting things ready for him to eat when he finishes preaching. Meanwhile, while he's preaching, you are not there. You should know you are being distracted. That service is not good. That service is not good. It's bad. It is bad. It is bad. It is very, very bad. Are you getting my point? That that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. So, what are we saying? That God is more, in, more interested in his word entering into us. I said last time that grace is crucial. God doesn't want things you can do by your own strength. He said, occupy with this until I come. He gives you something to occupy with. Are you getting my point? It is not use your own strength. So when he wants to give you something, it's again by the issuing forth of his word. We read that time, the Bible says that he picks those who are going to be with him, all right, so that he could send them forth, so that they could have authority. Before you can do anything for, for God, first of all, you must have been with him. If you are not with him, listen, you can't do anything for him. He must be with you. You must be with him learning his word. You must be with him knowing his ordinance. You must be with him allowing the life of God. Are you getting me? Allowing the life of God to enter into you through the word of God. It's when that life has entered you that it produces work in your life. It is not that, you know, listen, if, you know, let me just say this again. Many times you see, this is my best example. 
Somebody was a musician in the world, all right? He was uh, singing. Michael Jackson gave his life to Christ. The next day, he's singing praise and worship. That guy will soon backslide. They will backslide. What are you doing singing praise and worship? When yesterday, you were still singing, you're going to be sad something. Today, now, you are singing, um, uh, oh, Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. I just worship him. Raise up your hands and worship the Lord, Michael Jackson. You gave your life to Christ yesterday. You know nothing about worship. You know nothing about worship. If whoever gave you the microphone, you should come to the front and say, Once I was lost, now I have been found. Thank God with me, my sins are washed away. Go back to your seat and go and sit down. We don't want to hear one song from your mouth for the next two years. What are you singing? What do you know to sing? But Christians don't know. As not, oh, come on. Let me say, oh, um, give me a name. P Square. What's the name of Peter? Peter and what? Yeah, what's their surname? Peter Okoye gave his life to Christ last week. Praise the Lord. Do you have a special number for the people of God? That's how the boy will backslide. Are you getting my point? That is how he will. If he comes to church, tell him, don't give him any special. If I say, you, you remove your earring, remove your, you know, you know what they call earring? All right, okay. Your earrings. <laughs> remove your earring, remove your tattoo, comb your hair. Have a godly hair. That rubbish you tie for there. It's not, not in this church. Comb your hair, wear a suit, sit at the back. I'm not ready to do it. You have not given your life to Christ. But you know, men that we are intimidated by worldly, you know, presence. God knows me. Walking here, I don't care who you are. The only time you can get my attention, be aged. I respect age. It's in the scriptures. You come in, you are white-headed. I will give you that one. But I don't care if there was his name. Two-Face comes in here like, like this. I will just look. I would just pinch somebody. Who be that? <laughs> There's an IDBA guy with that. Two Baba. I say, eh, what is he looking for here? When I'm done, I walk past him. He's not a ruler of the people. He's an entertainer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I will walk past him. If he wants to see me, the typical protocol goes, talk to um, um, uh, Apostle first. He said, I want to talk to Pastor. I said, what do you want? Tell me. He said, I want to talk to Pastor. Ah, listen, he won't talk to you. He doesn't know you. You are getting my point? Yes. yes. I would not. You, you were singing for the whole world. Listen, singing for, singing for Satan. Because that's what some of these boys do. All right? It's very different from singing for God. He said, what do you mean by singing for Satan? Once you tell me that now two chicks are going to carry, you are singing for Satan. Yes. Singing for Satan and singing for God are two different things. You come to church, sit at the back. Pay attention. Hear God's word. After six months, we will let you just say, please, brethren, I need to say this. I just want to shout hallelujah in my own way. Hallelujah. That's all. <laughs> Sit down. Before you can minister praise worship in that church, two years will elapse. And we will be sure that you really are called to do praise worship. Because jamming on the stage and leading praise are two different things. Yes, sir. yes two totally different things. Christians don't get that point. You now put the poor guy who just gave his life to Christ under pressure. When he's coming to church, everybody's staring at him. Two-Face gave his life to Christ. So what? People, I mean, <laughs> mafia bosses have gotten born again. Paul was worse than you. <laughs> he persecuted the church. You only sang bad songs. <laughs> he got born again. But you know, oh God, may God give us understanding. I pray that many people are listening to me, all right? They are preachers. You know how to arrange your church. Young converse class, go and sit down there. Don't sing there. You listen. Don't harass other young converts. <laughs> With your, with your presence. The Lord is good. Now, why did I get to do that? I was just explaining that, listen, this is how it works. First of all, God wants us transformed. 
The outward thing is not what he's trying to do. It's when he has transformed us, some things will come out naturally, which he placed in there. When, when that is happening, we say we are walking by grace. And like I said last time, so what he's doing is preparing us to receive grace. He's not preparing us, okay, to walk by, with our own energy. He's preparing us to receive grace. That's why he said that they will have to be with me so that they can receive authority. When they have been with him, that's when they receive authority. Are you getting my point? You remember when, when Peter, James, John, all the disciples, or the apostles, of course, and people with them, when they went out to minister that day, all right, the, the, day, the, night, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, people were looking like, what? Who are these men? Look at how they are speaking so eloquently. Not afraid of the multitude. Able to face the crowd. Somebody now said they have been with Jesus. Now, was it being with Jesus directly? No. You will see, it was when the Holy Spirit came upon them. But being with Jesus prepared them to be able to receive the anointing. Are you getting my point? And that was what Jesus said. You will be with me so I can send you forth so that you can receive authority. God works his work through us, not using our own energy, not using our own effort. But when we have been with him, he transforms us so that we can receive the proper enablement, which is what we call grace. All right, we call it grace, so that we can now do the work of God, and that is the work that counts. Last time I ended with this, that don't ever forget. Jesus said in that Matthew chapter 7 that we read, he said that, um, that in the last days they will come, and they will say, we did all these mighty works in your name. And then we'll say, and he will say to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. I never knew you. What does that tell us? For us, for our work to count in his presence, he must know us. And we ended with one point. That must be the striving of our souls to be known by him and for us to personally know him. That is the way it works. Let's continue from that particular point. Second Peter chapter 1. Let's read. Today we want to read this again. And that's where we're trying to continue the issue of um, the work of God inside us, how we are supposed to go about it. Let's start from verse uh, 2. Peter was writing, he said, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers, he says, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, that's where we are focusing on, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and your moral excellence, knowledge, then self-control, then perseverance, that's verse 6, I'm jumping a few words, and godliness. In verse 7, it says, add brotherly kindness and love. Verse 8, it says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, 
Be all the more diligent. Somebody say diligent. diligent. Please say it again. Diligent. He said, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, uh, why did I read this? We read it a number of times as previous days, but we really didn't sit on it for long. I want to do that this evening. Now, we're talking about God's work, and I've established they came to Jesus and said, what must we do that we will be walking the works of God? He said, the work of God is that you believe. Believe in him whom the Lord has sent. Why I read that is that you see that faith is of the heart. And he was saying the work of God is first of all that which you do in your heart. That the work of God is not what you do outwardly. I said it earlier, let me say it again. You have a young Christian who is coming to church. Don't try and push him to do work thinking that that will make him committed. He doesn't need that kind of commitment. What he needs is a commitment to listening to God's word. There's a story I told in that book, How to Work for God, many years ago, after my youth service, or I, I just finished youth service, I was in Lagos. Uh, no, no, not after, yes, shortly after my youth service, but just a few years afterwards, actually, I just remembered now. But sometime ago, I started attending the church in Lagos, and uh, one sister who knew me in school, don't forget, the title Pastor Banke I used today was dashed to me while I was on campus. As I was preaching the gospel that time, I was a fellowship president. So naturally, I was one of those people that people just assumed that once they leave school, ministry goes out. Are you getting my point? All right. I didn't do like that. It wasn't as if I planned it, but that was just how it turned out. And God helped me through. Um, he solved my confusion ahead of time by giving me a revelation when I was serving, doing my youth service in Taraba State then. I dreamt one particular night, and there was, you know, there are dreams you dream, and there's something about them. You just know that this is not a usual dream. I mean, Pharaoh was dreaming many times. He didn't call everybody. Nebuchadnezzar had dreamt and dreamt and dreamt. He didn't call anybody. But there are dreams you dream, you just call everybody. Are you getting my point? Eventually, the matter got to Joseph. And Joseph said, yes, you're right. This dream is not an ordinary dream. It's a dream indeed that God is using to tell you something. And he gave him the interpretation and how to plan for it. The same thing with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was so worried him. He was going to kill all his wise men and his advisors if they didn't tell him the interpretation. And he was very, very crafty. They said, all right, they will tell me anything that they want to see if I tell them the dream. So he told them, I'm not telling you the dream. In fact, I've forgotten the dream. So first of all, remind me of the dream. My God, you know, just be digressing. When they are giving you free money, be careful. Those guys were living large, feeling very happy. Did they say, pay, work for all the pay I've been giving you? They said, tell us the dream. Said, so that you just come and be deceiving me. So all right, I've forgotten the dream. And if you don't tell me the dream, I'm going to collect all my money back by removing your heads. <laughs> That just by the way. And of course, Daniel went and prayed, and God revealed the dream to him. No, that just by the way. So the point I'm making is that there are dreams like that. You have them, and you know this is significant. And I had a dream like that. And the moment I woke up, I, um, well, not, I knew it was significant, and I meditated. I got some interpretation, but God didn't bother to explain it. I didn't fully understand it until it played out over the next many years. Okay? Now, what that meant was that I just realized that and I left school in 1991. I began Kingdom World Ministries in the year 2002. That's a while. Are you getting my point? And it was not 2002. Yes, 2002, 2001. I think that about. 
Yes, yeah, so then one was when I began to make some arrangements. So then two, we started working, printing tracts and stuff like that. So then three, we started teaching, meeting here. Now, so, but for that length of time, you can imagine, I would have been wondering what is going on with my life, really. Because, I mean, you know, you're, you know, anointed, you know, people just assume. And in fact, there was a clinic I worked those days in Lagos. The, 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 my MD, he used to look at me and said, <laughs> he would say, this boy, you are telling me that God has not called into ministry yet. Ha! <laughs> So one day I went and met Bishop Uyedepo and told him that he was a deacon in Winners and said, there is a young man that works for me. Papa, you need to talk to him. That the pastor, so he came to me, he just came to work one day, said, you have an appointment for you. Next week, Thursday, you are seeing Papa. I said, yes, sir. So I packed my things, I went, waited the whole day. Eventually I saw Bishop Uyedepo sometime in the evening. Yes, things like that happened in my life. All right? We talked, uh, I mean, I'm not like I'm bragging, but the first time I went for Winners, um, School of Ministry was a personal invitation from Bishop David Yedeko. So he said, okay, come for my, I, I teach a school of ministry, we're just starting it. That I'm starting next week, so and so, so time, make sure you are there. I said, yes, sir. He said, when you come, you see me. I came, that day I remember I stood, looked at him from a distance, and something me said, why bother? Just learn from him and forget it. And I walked away. Don't ask me why I did that, but I remember that day I stood. Of course, it wasn't so easy, you, just, you don't just walk up to him like that. I mean, there's a lot of protocol. But if I had waited, and I knew people around him, the, one of the secretaries was, was one of our sisters in school, all right? I knew her. I could just call her and say, hey, oh girl, Papa said I should see him today. Make sure you arrange it. And she said, nope. And she was, not, she was somebody who called me Pastor Banky with respect. Are you getting my point? So I could do that. But that day I just got there. I felt that, and I knew it was the Holy Spirit, all right? I just felt, I stood, I stood. I was watching from a distance. Papa said, see me when you come. I said, but what is it am I supposed to see him about? It's not to learn these things. Let's just keep coming. And until I left Lagos, I didn't miss any school of ministry. I came di- diligently. Now, so that was the kind of thing that was happening. I remember my church where I did my house job those days. The pastor then, all right, he, he one day I, I went to visit. And I said, so how, how come with ministry? I said, well, I haven't started. I, he said, what are you waiting for? I said, we are still preparing. He said, if people like you are preparing, then the work will never get done. And I, I didn't have an answer for him until something just struck me. I said, well, the, de- the, le- the depth of preparation determines de- the height of achievement afterwards. I just told myself that if you are building a short building, you dig a small foundation. If you want the building to go very high, then you have to dig very deep. Now, why am I saying this? Because the story, the, the story, I told a bit of it longer than this inside that book, uh, How to Work for God. So one of those days, I, when I met um, Pastor Podgers, I go into Covenant Christian Center, and then he shared some revelations the type I had never seen before. Intense revelation, deep truths of God. This when you sit down, you think I take time here? It's because you want to go home. I, you know, and I've, I've ne- I don't want to be the pastor of a large church. I don't like the job. Come on Sunday morning and there are 1,000 people gathered in the hall trying to listen to you, 5,000. I don't like the job. Some people may like it. Some people enjoy it. I don't like it. Is it bad? No. Everybody has his job. Because I've noticed that when churches are big, messages are short. That's just my reason. Nothing more. When churches are big, messages are short. Those days, Bishop when he stands once like you to preach, two straight hours, wonders of faith, you will hear the gospel, eh? you, your life must change. Once I was going to Covenant those days, when Pastor Pujo handles the microphone, it's two hours, 30 minutes, regular Sunday morning. Two hours, 30 minutes, regular Sunday morning. You know, Revelation, that you scratch, you open your Bible again, say, okay, repeat it. You come to church, you know, say you must hear a word. 
Now, that's, I'm talking about revelation, understanding, teaching. You know, that's why I, this church Sunday morning, preach 40, 40 minutes, 10 services, I personally don't enjoy it. I don't. I'm not saying it's wrong, though. Everybody knows what they enjoy. I watch a particular trend amongst preachers. I said, God, please, please, don't let this happen to me, please. I'm, I'm not saying I'm under control, but I mean that I'm in charge, that I can control it, but I just don't want it to happen. Because I find that once churches get too large, messages get too short. You see, if you've been there, you know. It's not the preacher. It's the congregation. They are restless. The anointing will vanish from your head. I have been in a meeting before that we conspired and shut down the anointing of the man of God. We didn't know. We didn't say, let's shut it down. Let's shut it down. That day we just say, oh, this man, oh, we'll go home today. Shut down the ministry. The atmosphere just froze. He told me later, he said, Banky, I don't know what happened. The the, that was not what was supposed to happen this evening. No. I didn't want to tell Before you came, we were, we were grumbling. Our grumbling spirit shut the atmosphere down. Froze the whole thing. He couldn't talk. Long story about why we were grumbling. grumbling, grumbling. That's another story. When, when people are plenty like that, eh, on, uh, it's hard for a preacher to talk for long. It's very hard. Very, very hard. Unless you build the congregation in a particular way, so that, and it's, let me not, let me not bore you. Let me not bore you. Let me not bore you. I'm just going to emphasize why I, don't, I never liked it. Because I've seen it when people are getting to plenty. Just, just sharp, 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 30 minutes. Everybody goes home and they're happy. They've gone to church on Sunday. You know, the disciples of Jesus, they came to him. Say, what were you saying there? Jesus said, those people, they just came to church. They didn't come to learn. They just came to church. He said, the word of God has to be to them in parables. He said, but you... Who have come. Those of you that came and said, what are you saying? Let me give you the meaning of the parable. The sower went to sow the word. Now that summary you see was a summary. I am persuaded Jesus was there for hours talking to these people. Explaining to them. Breaking it down. They were asking questions. And he was drilling the word into them. When those who came for the multiplication of bread had gone home. Now why am I talking about this? When I encountered, I encountered good word that time, I entered that church, I began to listen. So that sister asked me once. He said, Pastor Banky, which church do you attend? I told her. He said, are you actively involved? I said, yes, most certainly. What do you do? I said, I am actively involved in listening to the pastor. She started laughing. I wasn't joking. I knew I was actively involved in listening to the pastor. I told you one of those days, I came to church. After service, I wanted to book the tape. The guy told me that they didn't record. I said, what happened? He said, the recording machine is faulty. So I said, no problem. Next Sunday I came. Did you record? He said, no. What happened? They have not yet fixed the recording machine or they haven't bought another one. I looked at him. Two hot messages. Missing. The next Sunday, I borrowed my neighbor's recording, that music player, and brought it to church. I said, this one can record, plug it. Meanwhile, I went home, sat down, prayed, had my own personal service, you know, church service again, and closed my eyes, and I began to recount what he said two weeks ago. Three weeks ago, this time. 
because two services had passed. I began to recount what he said, and I started writing them down. And as soon as I began, it started flowing. The scriptures, the illustrations, I still have the book it's in my house. If you remind me, I'll bring it for you guys to see. I wrote and wrote two, two services. I, 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 the message is still in my heart. Talked about the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. How to predict your life by observing the sufferings you are going through. That for every suffering, there is an attached glory. <laughs> that the Bible says that the prophets prophesied concerning the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. <laughs> I, two services, I recited everything to myself again and wrote the messages down. Because the man who was in charge of tapes did not record. So when I said to somebody, I was actively involved in listening to the pastor. I was not joking. I, I told you, sitting down is not sitting down watching TV. It's not sitting down reading novels and feeling happy. It's not sitting down because you are lazy. It's sitting down listening to his word. There's a word of difference. That is the primary assignment of God. Sitting down and being transformed by his word. That sister asked me that day, are you actively involved? I said, yes. I said, what do you do? I am the number one listener in that church as far as I'm concerned. I didn't tell her like that. I'm just telling you that time. One day, we and the, we and the pastor had this kind of discussion. So we kind of held different viewpoints on the same thing. So he said something. I said, but sir, you said this before now. Then you said this another time. After I quoted him like three or four times, he looked at me. He said, you know the problem? You, you people listen to me too much. <laughs> and he turned and left. <laughs> because I was telling everything he said. Every, he said, I said, this was what you said. If you want, I'll give you the time you said, the message you were preaching. The man looked. One day we were there. You no, know, one day we were, we were just discussing like that. So I said, one of my friends just came and he borrowed 30 of my tapes that he preached. He looked at me, you have 30 of the tapes I preached? I said, yes, sir. 30. I said, no, I didn't say I have 30. I said, my friend borrowed 30. He looked and walked. I said, oh, you think we came here to play? <laughs> there were certain scriptures, in fact, generally, this, this, this idea, you've heard it before, if you read some books, that the Old Testament was written to the Jews. Have you heard that before? And the New Testament was written to Christians. That was the day I, the man just showed from two scriptures that that is a lie. That the Bible says that the prophets prophesied by the Spirit of Christ. And they sought to know what the Spirit of Christ in them was saying. And what did God say to them? What you are saying is not for your time. It's for another time to come. You just prophesy and die in peace. He said, Paul said, writing to the Romans, that I'm an apostle of the gospel which the prophets preached. The man said, listen, don't let anybody tell you that Old Testament was written to Jews. He said, the problem is that people don't have the eyes to understand. Their eyes are blocked. He made two statements in that area. He said, if your eyes are open, reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we, with an unveiled face. He said, if your eyes are unveiled, you will see the tabernacle, you will see Christ. You will see the sacrifices, Christ will be revealed to you. 
you will see the cloth that Aaron's wearing. You'll be seeing Jesus in everything. He said, but if your eyes are covered, veiled, you come to the New Testament, where grace is so clear, you will see, you'll be seeing law. You will see why the women should not tie their hair. And you start dreaming, I'm adding my own words now, you start dreaming dreams of falling and going to hellfire and seeing all the women there. Why the men with all the adultery and the arm robbery and kidnapping and sitting on government money and lying with the gospel, they've gone to heaven. Why? They did not do their hair. You start redesigning makeup. You say, makeup means to make yourself up. It means God didn't make you well. I said, what does dress up mean? God didn't dress us well too. (laughs) The point I'm making is this. He said, when your eyes are veiled, you will go into the New Testament, you start seeing law. Even the laws that are not there, you write them inside there. You know the favorite one? There's one law that's not anywhere in the New Testament. People wrote it inside. Tight. Not anywhere in the New Testament. Not one place. They wrote it inside there. That's what, it hap- that's what happens. Now, somebody said, with your tithe, you buy the destiny of your children. Because that is when you have law. Why did your shed tear? You paid God offering with torn money. So God tore your shed. Things that God didn't command. Why? Veiled eyes. That was when I came to understand that, listen, this Bible, there's no past that's for the Jews. Every part is fulfilled only in Christ. Even if the Jew wants his part, he has to come into Christ first. Only in Christ Jesus are all the promises of God's yes and amen. That was when I began to reread the Old Testament. And it now began to speak again to me. What we call Old Testament. I don't use the expression Old Testament anymore anyway. I use the expression the law and the prophets. That's what Jesus called it. What am I saying? You need understand. Listen, church work, that's the work of God, is not guru-guru. It's not hustle. It's not the physical thing. You know the interesting part? I, I, I'm going to... I'm going to go back to this matter on on a moment, but I just feel like sharing some things. A lot of Christians will be surprised how God judges. Let me just talk about that. And I'll go back to this issue of the main work inside. You'll be surprised how God judges. I told you last time, the day of judgment, many Christians are in for a surprise. A big one. We read it. He said they will come and say we prophesied in your your name. Once I went somewhere... My friend organized a program, and he gave me a book. And the man who wrote the book said that 99, was it 99 or 90% of Christians, he said, are going to hell. When he said it, I said, in my mind, I don't agree. But you know, later on, I thought to, I said, well, maybe he means 99% of churchgoers. Yes, because maybe why I didn't initially agree was I stuck with the word Christian. And I said, no, no true Christian is going there, none. But I said, churchgoers, many people go to church, Jesus said, I never knew you. They will, they will spend money in church, spend time in church. Some even preach. 
They say, oh, it is our evangelism day. They'll go house to house so that it can be recorded that I want two souls to Christ. They will not say, when you are going to heaven, you will hold the souls like this. You know, I told you before, that thing is a lie. Naked you came, alone too. You are going back that same way. God doesn't count the number of souls you want to your credit. He doesn't do that. Why does he not do it? You can't win a soul. Who are you? It's the Holy Spirit that does his work. Can you preach? Yes. If the person doesn't respond, is it your fault? No. That's why he doesn't do that. Isaiah said, I spent my strength for nothing and for vanity. Jeremiah said, the word of God has only brought me problems, removed my friends, created enemies for me. So I said, I will not preach again. Paul said, even me, when I'm preaching, I am not doing it willingly. Not because I just like the idea of preaching. He said, but something has been poured upon me. Necessity has been laid upon me. What was he saying? You can't, I can't say I tried. What Try what? If I don't preach, it's like fire in my bones. Why should you reward me for releasing the pressure in my soul? It's like you go to the toilet to go and wee-wee. You know, you know this kind of thing. You've been sitting down, traveling, six hours, seven hours, you drank water on the way. Then as soon as you stop, where's the toilet? You now go there, you now... <laughs> Praise God. Now say they should pay you. <laughs> Why should they pay you? You are releasing the pressure in your bowels. Are you getting my point? That's what Paul said. Same with Jeremiah. That's why God doesn't say, okay, you won five souls. The man that won the greatest number of soul, souls at a time in the Bible that we are aware of, he did it grudgingly. What's his name? Jonah. Jonah thank you. Jonah. Jonah went there. 40 days, you guys are in trouble. And he was waiting, went and sat, and let's see what's going to happen. At the end of 40 days, they had all repented. Immediately after, they all repented. They were fasting and saying, God, we are sorry, we are sorry, we are sorry. Jonah looked. 40 days, no problem came. He said, you see? Was this not what I said when I was in my own house? Jonah hated the idea of the people repenting. He wanted the credibility of his prophecy. That's what the man wanted. He won a great number of souls, but he did it grudgingly. What does that tell you? It was not his preaching. It was the Holy Spirit walking. Are you getting my point here? So that is why God doesn't score anybody for those things. I was saying, you'll be surprised at how he judges. You know, <laughs> they came to him that day, they said, he said, enter into the joy of thy Lord. Why? Because you were, I was hungry, you fed me, I was thirsty, you gave me food, I was sick, you visited me. And they said, when did we do that? Now, you see it as I go, and I'll explain it. They did not even know when they did the work that counted. That's what I'm bringing up now. I'm not even talking about the feeding. Or, but the fact that the, the one that counted, they didn't know what they did. I've told you, forget this anybody. So this seed, it will multiply. It never multiplies. It never does. Anyone you put down, they say, multiply for me, is dead. It's planting cooked beans. <laughs> That's how it is. The one that produces something, you won't know when you did it. When God is blessing you, you say, when was that? He said, ah, I like you. You're my guy. He said, Lord, thank you. So the way you have just been blessing me on this earth. He said, Lord, when did I bless you? 
you know now, you're my guy. I'm like, Lord, please, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, remember five weeks ago? You were in a hurry? That brother said, please, can you just give me small transport money? Let me go somewhere. You tapped your pocket. All you had was a hundred naira. He said, hey, I don't have much. You took 50 from me. I gave it to him. And it was so small, you forgot. Because that's my guy. I said, Lord, what about the one million check? He said, that one. No, that was for your pastor, not for me. <laughs> said, Lord, what do you mean? That, he begged you for it now. He told you to sue a seat for your house. Didn't you? Say yes, eh? So I didn't collect. Wale Oke said something once where I was. He was preaching my church where I did my house job those days. He said, those that do the work that counts, don't stop to count them. Let me add my own words. The things that count, you don't even know they count. And I pray, you know, all these pastors that are misinforming Christians, I hope they will come to church and sit down, let me teach you the truth. All the labor you are laboring because you think God is observing. The very things he's counting, you don't know. You can't know. I may even be able to judge. Some of us who teach, he may give us understanding, we teach some principles. But in our own personal lives, we also can't tell. We also can't tell. People say, once, once I set 10% aside, you know, God will bless me. I say it under God. You are lying. He will not give you anything. Once you release the money because you want his blessing, it's lost. Once you give money because let me see what he's going to multiply back, he won't multiply anything. The one he counts, you don't know when you do them. You don't know when you do them. You don't know. They just erupt, listen to this, out of the love of God that's acting in your heart. When I say this, Chris, look, listen. I found that only preachers have a problem with what I said. Because they are afraid. Because they often depend on this pressure for Christians to give money. For Christians to work for God. This is Kingdom World Ministries. I'm here preaching. I don't walk alone. By the time I arrived today, because of the journey I had, you know, we, we were coming from far, meeting was already on. How the meeting got opened, who opened here, who get, got things ready, who put everything, everybody sitting down here comfortably. I wasn't there. As I'm preaching here, things are still going on. People are manning the cameras. People are ensuring that things are going on smoothly. So I'm trying to emphasize, I appreciate the work of the hand, you know, the physical labor of believers. Just like I'm laboring, I appreciate their own labors, everybody that's working with me. However, that it, those physical things themselves are not what constitute the work of God for an individual. It's when they are provoked by the Spirit, not by personal need, not by I'm trying to keep account so that when I get to heaven, I'll have a mansion. That's what I'm going to emphasize. I am saying, if you do that for these accounting purposes so that I can get, you get nothing. That's what I'm saying. You get nothing. Zero. But when you allow the word of God to work in your life, transform you, change you. Are you getting my point? And then, you do things without even thinking you are doing anything. 
The things that will really count if God was supposed to be counting them, you wouldn't even know when you did them. I told you the story of one young man, which I heard. My pastor in Lagos that time told the story. A friend of his. In his life, he has like, there were like four or five siblings in the family. I'm not very sure whether there are four or five. Not more than five, not less than four. He said in, his, in their home, he's the only one. That young man was the only one things they were working for. All the other siblings, things didn't seem to work right for them. They don't, um, you know, job will not be balanced, money won't be balanced, life will not be balanced, things are just upside down, family is not balanced. He said one day he thought about it. He didn't know what will explain why he was different. Things worked well for him. He said he thought. Then suddenly something came to his mind. He said, remember the day that they had a quarrel with their parents, all the siblings, and it was the real showdown, they were adults. Their father was doing something, maybe both parents, and they were in disagreement. So they really went hard against their parents. It was a real quarrel. So as soon as they were done, all of everybody scattered. Then, while he, wherever he was, like David would say, his conscience smote him. You know, when he cut the cloth of um, Saul. So he came back to his father. They are Yoruba folks. So he prostrated on the ground. And told his father, I'm very sorry. And his father said, you, it shall be well with you. He, until that day, he didn't cross his mind. All the seed I have sown. That's how we normally would reason. But that day he reasoned. And remember his father pointed a finger at him and said, you, it shall be well with you. Which is technically saying, the rest, I am not giving this blessing to. He was not sowing a seed. I've won this, I've won Christians. Stop this seed nonsense. Please, stop it. You are injuring yourself. You are not walking according to the love of God. Why can't you just be provoked to do what is good? Just for the sake of being good. He said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Just to be good. I mean, why can't we just be clear about this thing? It's not hard. When we hear lies so much, we start believing them. It's the principle of propaganda. Otherwise, anybody would have known that they'll do things for you because of what you are going to get is selfish. It should have been obvious to everybody. It should have been obvious. The gospel we preach from this seed, 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 seed matter is not true. It's painful. It's like, look. Let me, look, we'll, we'll get to it later. But let me just give a few illustrations on how to give. Giving is simply provoked by love in your heart and recognition of a need. It's never, oh, let me collect something. He said, the widow of Zarephath gave, the widow of Zarephath gave, and God multiplied. I always ask a question. Could the next widow have given to Elijah at the same time and gotten the same result? The answer is no. Why do we make it look like it's a general rule? If the next widow could not have gotten, why do we make it look like it's a general rule? But that's not the issue. The issue I'm trying to bring out is that, have you ever asked yourself how Elijah got to that door in the first place? 
We know Elijah was not stumbling around. He was, his eyes were not closed. Tumbon, tumbon, which widow is there? Tumbon, tumbon, which widow is hungry? No. God said, arise. God dried up the brook. He could have sustained the brook. The Lord dried up the brook. Why? He said, arise. Go to Zarephath. I have prepared a woman there to take care of you, a widow. I know the, the, the interesting part. Jesus taught us later that it was not the widow that was taking care of Elijah. It was Elijah that was taking care of the widow. How do I know? Because he put two stories side by side. He said there were many lepers in Israel. None was cleansed. He said there were many widows. To none was Elijah sent. What does that tell you? It was those people that were receiving something. What am I saying? There was something that drove, the, that drove Elijah to the doorstep of the widow in the first place. That tells me something. That her single so-called seed was not the issue. See Christians every day just huh, being tossed to and fro. What am I saying? The thing that's really blessing you. The thing that is really blessing you. You don't know when you do them. You don't, you don't know. You don't know. You're just going normally. I remember a story once. I'm just, no, not a big deal. I just want to use it as an illustration. Once that met me in church once, he just said, please, oh, ah, Pastor B, please, I'm trying to raise some money for somebody. What happened? He said the child is in the hospital. The mother, the mother, uh, mother just, the wife just delivered. Mother and child are in the hospital. They can't go home. Why? There's no money. So he's trying to raise money to pay his bills. So I said, how much? Was well, a sizable amount of money for that time. So I just, somebody may just say, how many people are you planning to ask? He said, actually, I've asked a number of people. Nobody has given me anything. So maybe you're the last person I'm going to ask. I don't know. So whatever you have, let's just see what we can do with it. So I opened my car. I had a little, a little over that amount of money. So I counted everything I gave to her. I give it to him. Why did I have that amount of money? It's simple. My car needed repairs. There was one car I was using that time. They needed to buy some major parts in front. All right? You know, you know, change real suspension work. And you know the way it is. If you've done stuff like that, it costs money, those vehicle parts, all right? That was what made me have that amount of money. So I was supposed to see the guy repairing. That day I didn't have time, so maybe next time, you know? That's what I just got. So I just realized that, oh, why does you have to be going on? You have the money now. I just give him the, you know, just take. And I, I was so disappointed when she went and told him who gave her the money. I wanted her to just go and say, hey, our fundraising has worked. Here's the money you said you needed. Now, I just want to use that as an illustration. That's how Christians give. You can't just see. Look, when it comes to the, I keep on telling Christians, God bless us for faith. That's all. No, no, that reason. All right? Not your money. But you say, does the money count? I'll tell you where it counts. Faith is revealed in your works. Let me give you an example. You see as an example, the hope for your neighbor for your society, for Nigeria, is the gospel. They carry all your money, chop them. You don't believe, you are lying. 